Hi there. Welcome to Grafted Branches, where we talk about Jesus and how to get to know him in his Hebraic context. I'm Drew, and with me is my wife, Deborah. Let me add my welcome to all our listeners. Thank you so much for joining us as we explore together the words and teachings of Jesus in the context his listeners would have understood in first century Israel. Drew. We left our listeners hanging in our last podcast discussion where we began to explore in our two-part series what Jesus meant when he said, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. I loved exploring the Hebraic understanding of this first century idiom, kingdom of heaven. We promised that we would get to the Hebraic concept of righteousness and how it is literally paired with his kingdom. The kingdom without God's righteousness is a lot like a hot dog without a bun and all the great condiments we pile on top. You can't have one without the other. Yes, but I think most of us have heard that righteousness is some sort of unattainable thing. Most Christians have been taught that all our righteousness is like filthy rags. Just do a simple search of the internet and there is article after article after article posted about it. And I'm sure most of them are written with the best intentions, by the way. There's only one problem. Jesus, the Messiah, taught his followers to seek first, not just the kingdom, but also his righteousness in an active, ongoing, present tense. However, that teaching becomes problematic in his righteous, if his righteousness is unattainable. I've heard it said That was Jesus' whole point. We can't obtain it on our own. There's only one problem with that idea. Jesus didn't say that. When we read his words, it is really easy to forget Jesus is surrounded by first century Jewish people who already have an understanding of what righteousness means. So, Deborah, can you give us a description of what righteousness meant to the listeners of Jesus? Well, before we can understand what the idea of righteousness meant to a first century Jewish person, we have to understand the difference in cultures. In our modern Western world, we seem to need clear-cut and concise explanations and definitions. In the Hebrew and ancient Eastern Semitic cultures, descriptions are more likely to be described in colorful pictures and metaphor. Righteousness is one of the words where the Bible doesn't provide a concise definition in any one location. Its meaning is found throughout Scripture in the actions of God and His people. In our Western world, righteousness is often described as being in right standing before God. But in the Bible, it just really isn't pictured that way. For instance, in Micah 6, 3-5, God says, My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up from Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam, my people. Remember that Balak, what Balak, king of Moab, plotted, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Sittim to Gilgal, in order that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. Here, righteousness is described as acts of the Lord. What are those actions? He redeemed them, he took care of them, and provided for them as they traveled. Righteousness is a verb. It's an action word. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, in this case, righteousness is God in action. He's redeeming, caring, and providing for His people. It is an act of caring from one individual to others and something we can do too. The Hebrew word translated into English as righteousness is zedekah. Unfortunately, in many of our Christian dictionaries, it is defined this way, quote, a lawful act, justice, justification, a judge, merit, or reward, unquote. All of these imply righteousness is a measuring stick of how one lives, which I believe is why Christians are often taught to be righteous means a person is in right standing before God. There's just one problem. That description just doesn't seem to be backed by Scripture. For instance, Joseph, the husband of Mary and father of Jesus, is described as, quote, being a righteous man, unquote. Why is he being called righteous, and what picture is being drawn for us here? Well, the answer is simple. It is because of his godly intentions and actions towards his wife. And there are many others throughout the Bible who are called righteous because of their actions towards others. Our listeners will get a better understanding of righteousness if we look at a few more examples. Let me read to you Deuteronomy 10, 17 and 18 where God's righteous acts are further described. Quote, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who does not show partiality or take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. Notice these descriptions are actions. You know, I love lists, and I would encourage our listeners to write these righteous acts of God down. Number one on our list, he does not show partiality. By the way, this is an important act because in other religious systems, the gods do show partiality to the elite class. He does not take bribes. In a world filled with pagan gods, this meant worshiping, giving gifts, and such, uh, all to appease or gain favor with their gods. In a family setting, it means he won't favor one child over another. Number three, he executes justice for the orphan and the widow. These people are often the weakest members of our society and need our help. He loves the alien. How does he do that? He gives them food and clothing. All of these paint a picture demonstrating for us acts of righteousness. It's how we treat others. But there's more. Give us another example of what it means to be righteous. Okay. In Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 10, God says, quote, If anyone is poor among your brothers in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Remember, rather, be open-handed and freely lend to them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near, so that you do not show ill will towards the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. Then they may appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of the sin. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. 
Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. Hmm. Okay, here's some more righteous actions that we can add to our list. Number one, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted to your poor neighbor or your poor brother. An interesting idea here is that Pharaoh was both. His heart was hard, and he actually created poverty in his own country. Number two, be open-handed. I always like this because it seems kind of strange, but it means open up your hands. What a great picture. Loosen up your grip and give to others who have a need. I think this one is also interesting because we always associate it with money. But we can also open our hands with kindness, friendship, and encouragement. It doesn't have to be only about money. Number three, do not have wicked thoughts towards the needy. I think it's really common to blame the needy for causing their own problems. That's something I hear all the time. Number four, give generously to the needy. Jesus had a lot to say about this one. Here's just a couple. If asked, don't just give your shirt, give your coat. He also said, and go two miles, not just one. Number five, by giving to the needy, God will bless your work and everything you put your hand to. Now I want to make sure our listeners know one thing. This is not to be interpreted as a give-to-get scheme. Rather, God's blessing is a result of their or our generosity to others. Even the righteous woman spoken of in Proverbs 31 is one who, quote, opens her hand to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. I hope our listeners understand it's much more than making sure the poor are fed and clothed. Righteousness is all about helping others prosper and thrive in life. It's a way of living that is focused on life around us and not what we we can get from it. I'm glad you mentioned that because it seems to me when righteousness is described as being in right standing with God. In fact, let me say that again. When righteousness is described as being in right standing with God, the emphasis is on me and not others. And that to me seems like a very selfish thing to do. Most Christians have been taught all our righteousness are as filthy rags, which is only a soundbite from Isaiah 64, 6. Most of us never notice that one word has been left out of that sentence that totally changes the meaning of the phrase. Let me read it again as it is written, quote, And all our righteous deeds are like filthy garment. The one word left out of this popular quote is deeds, Leaving out this word changes the entire meaning. This is not a generalized statement meant to describe all mankind. Rather, in context, it is written specifically to the people of Isaiah's day, how some were twisting God's instructions for their own benefit. You're talking about the context of the rest of the story. Isaiah said this, And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind Take us away. You have delivered us unto the power of our iniquities. What a powerful statement. Our iniquities 
take us away. One problem most of us have is that we have no idea when iniquity is and how it relates to doing righteousness. Looking up iniquities in our dictionary, we find the root meaning is, quote, not just. However, in Hebrew, the word is ahon, described in our dictionaries as a particular evil sin, where the participant twist bends, or perverts rules into something they weren't meant to be. The picture is people who bend or twist God's instructions to protect and prosper themselves, often bringing suffering and loss to others. It is the opposite of righteousness, where caring about the needs of others is what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. So our listeners won't think that we're trying to say salvation comes through works, I want to remind everyone what Paul, that Paul made it clear to the Ephesians when he says, quote, We are his workmanship, created for good works in Christ. Yes. From the very beginning, salvation has always come through the grace and mercy of God. There was and is no other way, and is why understanding what Jesus taught about the kingdom and his righteousness is so, so important. How then did we get to where the idea of righteousness is some sort of right standing before God and not a way of living? I think it's because we all want answers to the question, how can a person like myself with all my failures, how can I have a right relationship with God our Creator? Dr. Brad Young in his book, Paul the Jewish Theologian, answers the question in this way. Instead of viewing Paul against the background of first century Judaism, we see him through eyes of later interpreters who knew little about early Jewish thought. He goes on to say, During the Reformation, Martin Luther understood righteousness in the sense of the German word, which I will do my best to pronounce here, gerechtigkeit, because, or meaning, excuse me, meaning justification or right standing before God. Unfortunately, we have been guilty of equating righteousness with holiness or spirituality. We have never quite understood that in order to be in right standing or right relationship with God, we must first be in right relationship with our fellow man. Mm -hmm. So righteousness to Jesus' listeners are redemptive, saving acts and deeds towards others. Let me read. I need to say that again. Righteousness to Jesus' listeners are redemptive, saving acts and deeds towards others. I think James was pretty blunt when he taught, faith without works is dead. Of course, some of the blame has to be given to our evolving traditions, like the idea of righteousness is some sort of judgmental scale of God of who can or can't enter into heaven. We can also place blame on our religious institutions for purposefully ignoring the Hebraic concept of righteousness. But ultimately, it is up to us, something Jesus made quite clear, to continually seek and live out God's design for us. And that is why we are doing these podcasts. We really want people to make God's instructions their own and live them out in daily living. Is there anything else we can add to help our listeners understand what a righteous lifestyle looks like? 
Yes, there is. One of my favorite portions of scripture that helps me understand what righteousness looks like is from Job 29, 12 through 17. Get out your pencils and add these words of Job to your list. Job said, quote, I put on righteousness and it clothed me because I delivered the poor who cried for help and the orphan who had no helper. The blessing of the one ready to perish came upon me and I made a widow's heart sing for joy. My justice was like a robe in a turban. turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I investigated a case which I did not know. I broke the jaws of the wicked and snatched the prey from their teeth. Hmm. I hope our listeners have noticed that righteousness is a verb. It's an action word. Think about it. You are clothed in righteousness when you help the needy and the orphan. By showing compassion and giving help to those who are terminally ill and their families. By including and helping those who are widows and orphans. By showing justice to others. By helping others to seek truth and then live it out in daily living. Helping others when there is a need. And no, we don't literally break another's jaw. It's a picture of when we investigate a case to find out the truth. Then the jaws of those who speak slander will be figuratively broken, saving those who have become their victims. True. Let's sum up this and leave our listeners with a basic understanding of what the kingdom and his righteousness are. Well, I feel the Hebraic scholar uh, Joseph Frankovic sums it up very well. We must always keep in mind, quote, the kingdom of heaven was at the very center and heart of Jesus' preaching. It's the present reality of God's redemptive power in full force among those of us who have made Jesus Lord, unquote. Quote, when someone experiences God's redemptive power in their life, what do you think their natural response will be? Unquote. Lord, what may I do for you? Which translates to a life of good works. Frankovic continues, Quote, righteousness is the outstanding, overriding, and yet simple theme of Jesus. It is an outgoing, active attitude aimed at others. When we care about people, we get involved in their lives, and God backs our efforts with His redemptive, saving, healing power. By imitating our Heavenly Father, we extend a hand of friendship, assistance, redemption, and love to this hurting, broken world. We understand that for most of our listeners, the Hebraic idiom, kingdom of heaven, and the Hebraic concept of righteousness is completely new. In this rapidly changing world in which we live, Christians can no longer afford to sit in comfort on Sundays and be entertained. It's time that we become doers of the word and not hearers only. But how can we be doers of the word if we don't know our Bibles well enough to know what it teaches. You know, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to understand um, each of us is responsible for our life with God. Deborah and I want to encourage you to dig in, to go the extra mile, maybe go two miles, maybe 
give your coat and begin to study God's Word in the context it was written. Our website, craftedbranches.org, will lead you to additional resources by reputable scholars and authors that will help you to learn and understand the Hebraic context of Scripture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at info at graftedbranches.org with your questions and or comments, and I promise you we will never add your name to a mailing list or bother you with mass mailings. As always, get to know him, what he taught, and go live it.